Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, the 4th of July, 2020. I once heard a story of an inspirational Bible calendar that offered encouragement each new day by giving another precious promise from the Scriptures. For instance, you might flip to the next day on the calendar and it would say, I will never leave you or forsake you from Hebrews 13. Or maybe go to the next day and it would say, if God is for us, who can be against us from Romans 8? And on one of the days on this calendar, it listed Luke 4, 7, which says, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Well, is that a precious promise from scripture? What we're going to see as we dig into Luke chapter 4 today is that some editor of that calendar was asleep at the wheel because that is not a promise that God is making to his people. That is something that the devil said to Jesus to try and tempt him. And we are going to look today at the temptation of Jesus Christ as we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So Luke has now gone through some of the introductory things. We've seen the the birth story of uh, Jesus. We've seen the ministry of John the Baptist and the genealogy of Jesus. And now we're going to start to focus on Jesus and about to begin his ministry. But first, we're going to see Jesus go into the wilderness to be tempted. And this is probably a very familiar story to many of you, the three temptations that Jesus goes through. And I've been in Christian circles and heard lots of different teaching. And so, especially in this age of Twitter and blogs and everybody having their hot take, right? You you might see a lot of things coming out of this passage. You might see, you know, hey, here's five tips for how you can better handle temptation based on what Jesus did. And then you might see somebody reacting to that saying, no, that's not what you should do with this passage. It's this passage is all about Jesus succeeding where Adam failed and where you failed and Jesus has, has done it for us. Well, what of all of that should we believe? And I think it's one of those things that we should not make an either or out of, but yes, as we look at this passage, we should see what Jesus did and praise God for it, but we should also look And there's things that we're going to learn as we face temptations. But first, I do want you to understand that in this passage, one thing that is significant is Jesus living the perfect life. I mean, this is the most detailed account we get of Jesus experiencing temptation. And that is part of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is righteous. He has perfect righteousness, and that's something that you and I don't have. And so what happens in the gospel is we are given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he takes our sin and the wrath that we deserve. And so in order for that to work, he had to live the perfect life. That's why he didn't just, you know, ride into town on Sunday and after kind of teleporting down from heaven on Saturday. No, he lived a full human life that he lived perfectly, and he did. He he succeeded where Adam 
failed in temptation and he's succeeded in where you and I have failed. And that is a reason for us to worship Jesus Christ as the perfect and holy Savior that he is. And so I hope as you read this today, you are moved to worship. Move to worship a Savior who lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. But I also think there are lessons for you and I to learn from the temptation of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? You and I, we're we're still going to deal with temptation, even as Christians. Even though we say, hey, praise God, he's paid my debt. He lived the perfect life. Hallelujah. Well, guess what? I want to grow. I want to be like Christ. And I want to overcome temptation in my own life. How can I do that? Well, the thing that sticks out the most and is perhaps noted most often in this passage is that Jesus responds to every single one of these temptations with Scripture. And that's probably helpful for all of us to think about. How much do we respond to our own temptations with Scripture? By pointing our heart and our mind to the Word of God, the truth of His Word, instead of the lies of Satan. And if there are particular recurring temptations for you, what scriptures are you going to memorize that you chew on or that you go back to as you face a similar temptation? But there's another thing that I want us to get out of looking at the example of Jesus today, and that is how in each of these responses, we see how he is trusting God and not focused on himself. That Jesus, the Son of God, the one who, Scripture says, he, he created the universe. Everything was made through him. Yet in the midst of all that, we don't even see an ounce of entitlement in him. Well, what we see is humility and dependence on God. I mean, take the first temptation, for example. He has been in the wilderness, it, you know, we know for 40 days I don't know about you. I'd be pretty hungry at the end of 40 days. And the devil is saying, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And you might even look at that and say, that, I mean, okay, I get that he shouldn't bow down and worship Satan, but what's such a big deal about him turning a stone into bread? What's up with that? And Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone. He's not going to buy into the temptation that just because he can and just because he feel like he feels like, oh, I deserve this, he's not going to buy into those lies. He's going to understand, hey, God's going to give me everything I need. And, and that's more than just the physical, more than just bread alone. Or, you know, look at Jesus up on the mountain. All the kingdoms of the world offered to him. Don't you think he could have said, man, that sounds a lot easier than the cross? I, you know, the cross, that I, that doesn't, I, that's not fair to me. I, I haven't done anything wrong. Why should I go to the cross? Sure, let's make a deal. It will all be mine. Or the third temptation, you know, he could have got all kinds of attention for throwing himself down from there. And he said, no, I'm not going to test the Lord my God. And he, that's how Satan so many times loves to work, loves to get into our minds and say, you deserve better. You should have this. This is easier. This is better for you. All these things he's trying to tell you every day when what you need to say is, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm trusting God, his timing, his way, his method. That's what I'm going to lean on. So I want to encourage you to think about that with the temptations that you might face. 
that so many of them start to prey on our selfishness, on our entitlement, on all these many things when God wants a simple dependence on him. And that's what Jesus shows uh, above anything else really here in Luke chapter 4. And as we look at some of our other passages today, we're going to see that, you know, there are better things that we can do in moments of frustration and temptation than taking it into our own hands. And so I want you to turn to Psalm 79 verses 1 through 7. Turn to Psalm 79 verses 1 through 7. And we look at those and what we see is a a prayer that's coming from a, a place of frustration It says, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. So we get the sense that this is sometime after the exile, after the destruction of the temple. Uh, But there is a frustration. And you see that in verse 5. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. So we see there, there's real frustration and the the psalmist doesn't seem to be able to put it all together quite yet. But that's such a better response for us than starting to believe the lies of the devil that, oh, God must not be good. I deserve better. No, bring those frustrations to the Lord. Call out to him. You know, even you see, he says, pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you. He's calling out to God, even in his frustration. He's looking to the one who he knows can hear and listen and ultimately do something about it. So there might be a frustrating situation where you are being deprived of something, or maybe you do deserve better in some situation in your life. But take that and bring it to God in prayer. We see that from Psalm 79. Again, in the New Testament today, we're in the book of Galatians and we're switching into chapter 3 today. And one argument that we see Paul so clearly making in Galatians is this idea that salvation is by faith, not by works. And especially not by these, you know, ceremonial actions like getting circumcised. No, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, in his crucifixion and what he has done for us. And today we start to see Paul giving us the sense that not only are we saved by faith, but as Christians, we live by faith. That faith isn't just what gets us in the door of the Christian life. Faith is how we should live the whole way. I mean, he says some strong things. We we read today Galatians 3, 1 through 14, and he starts by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Hmm. Yeah, by hearing with faith is the correct answer there. Now, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the implied answer is no, that it does not like, hey, we're saved by faith, and then, all right, it's all up to you from here. No, we continue to grow by faith. And that doesn't mean that effort is not involved in that, but ultimately, it's going to depend on faith. Ultimately, every single day, it's going to come down to this question, do you trust Jesus or not? 
You're not going to grow just by, all right, I'm going to suck it up and do the commands of God. No, I'm going to do the commandments of God because I have put my faith in Jesus and I really trust him and I really trust what he says. And that's why Abraham is such a good example. He didn't think, well, if I move here and I do this and I do that, then I'll be saved. No, he just trusted God. And that's why he did all those things. But it was that faith that was counted to him as righteousness. It was that faith that led God to say to him, and you, all the nations of the earth, will will be blessed. And that was what the the statement that Abraham was trusting. And in verse 9, it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We put our trust in Christ. And even one of the reasons we can do that, we see in the rest of the passage where it reminds us uh, of Christ and what he did that it says in verse 13, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ has given it all for us and he has fulfilled that promise to Abraham and if we trust him, we receive the spirit, we will grow, we will be changed, but that's the key factor. And so even today, you're going to be challenged. Are you going to trust Jesus in what he says or not? That, that's going to be the answer to the temptations that, that you face. Well, let's conclude our time just with some, some background on 2 Kings and some lessons from 2 Kings chapter 23. Again, we're learning about Josiah who, who takes over the reign of, of the kingdom as a young boy. And we, we see him doing good things. And yesterday we saw the word of God being recovered. And, and in chapter 23, I mean, this is like an Old Testament revival. We see God doing amazing things here in the nation of Judah. And what I want you to see is that this revival, it started with a commitment to the word of God. After they find the word of God, the beginning of chapter 23, they start reading the word of God and they want to know what it says and they they do this and they do it in the hearing of all. And next, they start smashing idols. They start bringing idols and, and destroying them and seeking them out and destroying them. And then we see the Passover being restored. And those are three elements that we're going to need to see if we want revival today. We're going to need to see a commitment to the word. We're going to need to see idols destroyed. We're going to need to see a commitment to obeying what God has told us to do. But one parting thought from 2 Kings, and especially if you've been reading with us since before even we started this podcast, you need to take note of things like this. But it, it reminds us as he is you know, desecrating this altar in Bethel where King Jeroboam had set up one of the golden calves. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. If you go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 13, a man of God comes to Jeroboam and says, this altar, there's going to be a son in the house of David named Josiah, and he will sacrifice on this false altar, the priests of the high places who made offerings on you and human bones will be burned on you. And now hundreds of years later, we see that prophecy being fulfilled. God's word is true. It can be trusted. And as you face temptation today, I'm hoping you lean on God and you trust in him. And I hope that you have a very happy 4th of July. 
Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.